So back in high school, a little bit in college, I played a lot of tennis. Now, let's be clear, I was not all that good. I played a lot of tennis, okay? I was very competitive, so I would pull some games out sometimes and matches against maybe people that I shouldn't have beaten. But let me tell you something about tennis, and Jan is here so she can back me up on this. One part of this sport, in fact, part of a lot of club and racket type sports is the concept of the sweet spot. All right, the sweet spot on a tennis racket, you know, you've got the head of the racket with all of the strings, but not all of that is the sweet spot. Within the racket head, there is a certain part that has been engineered by the creators, has been designed in to hit the ball just right. And when you make contact with your forehand or backhand and hit that location of the racket head, it is a beautiful thing. There is no vibration um, you can get a lot of spin on the ball, and generally the ball will go with a solid thump to wherever it is you are pointing your racket at, okay? So, the creators actually designed this in. I mean, it's engineered. There's a lot of science, R&D, that goes into uh, getting that sweet spot on the tennis racket. Well, we've been walking through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians, and Paul has been clear with us since the beginning of this letter to the Colossians that there is a sweet spot where human beings are designed to live, to be at their best. And so this has been engineered by our Creator. In fact, he says... Uh, very clearly over and over again, this sweet spot is Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, this is what Paul wrote. He wrote, we look at this sun and we see God's what? We see God's original purpose in everything, his engineering, his design in everything. For everything, absolutely everything, above, below, visible, invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose. In him, Jesus is the sweet spot. Got this on your outline this morning just to kind of get things rolling. Paul writes, and we believe, since we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we believe this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that every human being's sweet spot is found in Christ Jesus. That it's in Christ that we were designed to live, okay? Now, <laughs> in tennis and in life, it is your choice whether or not you are going to operate within the sweet spot. I mean, you don't have to. No one's going to make you. You can veer outside of that sweet spot. Um, you can even... Use different parts of the racket. You, you know, you can hit it off the frame or off the handle. I've hit it off the frame a bunch of times. Hit it off, hit it off the throat of the racket. It's just that you're not going to win very many points that way. Things not, aren't going to turn out well for you that way. And to say it's restrictive, like uh, to stay within the confines of the sweet spot, to say that technically that would be true. It is limiting in that respect, I guess. But you will never be much of a player if you don't hit it within the sweet spot. And so has God given, let me ask you something, has God given people the choice to accept or reject Jesus? Well, yeah. I mean, has, in, in essence, has God made discipleship optional for people? Yes, he has. Of course he has. 
No one's forced to follow Jesus. And it's also true that being in Jesus Christ is the way your creator designed you to live, to thrive, to live in abundance. And so today, this is, I was originally going to do the whole thing today, but we're going to take half of kind of this chapter three idea today, and we're going to talk about the negative half. We're going to go negative today. And what this means is we're going to talk specifically about, and Paul gets really specific, like almost uncomfortably specific this morning, about where the sweet spot isn't, okay? The different places you can live that are definitely not in God's sweet spot for you, things that need to be dealt with, things that need to be eliminated in order for you to thrive as a human being. So let's get into the text. This is Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Paul says, So put to death the sinful, the earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greedy desires, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And because of these sins, God's wrath is coming. God's anger is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters And he lives, I love this, he lives in all of us. So here it is. If I am a Christian, if I am serious about following Jesus, then my life is going to look different than if I was not a Christian, okay? There is going to be a difference because I accepted Jesus, because I followed Jesus. You see, the old sinful nature is being stripped away. And the new software, the new nature is being installed by the Holy Spirit of God. So yes, we are going to be different. If we're not different, that's a signal that something is seriously wrong with our walk. Okay. Now becoming the person God has engineered me to be has to involve quitting some things. It has to involve, Paul's language is strong here, putting some things to death, okay? A few days ago, we got a chance to go back to Missouri and see my parents again, and they're doing well. We had a great visit there, but I've told you this before about my dad. I'll tell you again. He is a first-rate gardener. If he's watching this morning, good morning, Dad. My dad is a first-rate gardener. Now that he's getting a little bit older, doesn't do quite as much out in the garden anymore, nor, nor should you. Um, <laughs> But he still has some things growing out there in the garden. He puts anything I've ever tried to grow to shame with his gardening. And one thing he understands, and anyone who is kind of worth their salt at gardening understands, is 
a good bit of gardening is getting rid of stuff. Okay? It is getting rid of the rocks in the soil. It is getting, pulling out the weeds and the thorns out of the garden and doing that not just once a year or the, when you inaugurate your garden, but, when, but every day, really. I mean, at least every week. If you're going to be good at it, you got to go negative with that stuff. you got to get it out of the garden. Right? So write this down. There's a broader life principle beyond gardening here for us. The broader life principle is this. What you give up determines what you make room for. Okay? What you pull out of your life makes space for other things, for better things. Now, no one that I know of pulls weeds in a kind and gentle way. Okay? We do not relocate the weeds. It's garbage, all right? It gets thrown out. It gets burned up, right? It's garbage. And we do that because those weeds consume space and consume nutrients that could go to the fruit or the vegetables or the flowers that are growing, you know, the okra, the marigolds. And we don't want it to rob that space and choke off the life out of these good things that are growing. And Paul says, when it comes to sin, believers have to be ruthless about pulling it out. I mean, listen to his language in verse 5. You need to put it to death. Right? In verse 8, he says, get rid of it. And in verse 9, he says, strip off the sinful nature. So go negative with that stuff. So that you can invest space and nutrients in cultivating the new nature that you have received by the grace of God. And this means, put this on the outline as well, this means I become more in Christ as I stop some things and I start some other things. That's not like rocket science there, but I become more in Christ as I stop doing some things and I start doing other things. So, here is the list of what's got to go, and this is, like I said, specific. And so, as we get into this list, I do hope that we will allow the Holy Spirit to perhaps make us a little bit uncomfortable. Because here's the thing, this, this list was written to Christians, it was written to believers in, in Colossia who clearly was, were still working their way out of these weeds, okay? So there's going to be some stuff on this list, I promise... If you are honest, there's going to be some stuff on this list that you deal with. Let's put that list up there. Uh, there's going to be some stuff that you deal with right now. And I can tell you there's three or four things on there that I have struggled with a lot in my life during different seasons and probably other things that from time to time I've struggled with. So just you know, as we work through this, and I'm not going to talk a lot about each one, but which is an issue for you? Okay. Which one of these is something that you have tried to overcome and failed? Tried, failed, tried, failed, and maybe decided, I can't deal with this one. It's just going to be part of my life. I mean, which is that kind of signature sin that you work with? And so he talks about sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage, outside of the covenant of marriage. He talks about lust. Talks about evil desires. Paul talks about greed. I never 
feel like I have enough. This insatiable hunger, not for God, but for stuff. He talks about idolatry. Now, that sounds really like prehistoric to us or Old Testament to us. No, he, he, idolatry is loving things, right? It is looking for God's substitutes, and it, it can be a person. It can be a cause. But anything that, that you look to for security, that you, put, that you find your meaning in, that kind of elbows God off the throne, that's idolatrous. He talks about anger and rage, talks about malicious behavior. Obviously, the, these are things that just clearly are not part of the sweet spot for human living. I mean, I promise you, you are not at your best <laughs> when you're malicious, when you're being mean. Talks about slander, you know, bashing people typically behind their backs. By the way, this can be online, on your Twitter feed, on your Facebook, on your Instagram. Talks about dirty language, water cooler talk. Talks about just being dishonest, not being truthful with people, telling lies. That these are part of the old nature that has to die. Part of what was. And I feel like I need to call this out just for a second because I believe one of the most insidious lies that the enemy tells us is that your sin, you know, your sin, the, the one that you really struggle with, that you can't beat it, that you need to just resolve to live with that. Because I believe, I've seen this over and over, he takes that signature sin of yours, the one that has haunted you the longest, and he works to convince you it is not possible to be free from that sin. And so what God's Word is asking you to do, to get rid of, to put... It's impossible. And that's a lie. (laughs) It's a lie because this isn't up to you. The Spirit of God lives in you. Nothing is impossible for God. Okay? You have everything you need. Jesus has provided that for you on the cross through his resurrection, to pull the weed out of your life. And it may not happen overnight, okay? But if you fight the good fight, if you commit to rooting it out, the Spirit of God will set you free. Back when we were church planting in Brazil, part of our language work, you know, learning Portuguese and everything. I had a really gifted language teacher, Ricardo, and we became friends, and he was more than just a teach-me-Portuguese guy. He also would work with me on the sermons on wordsmithing and making sure this is, this is what I'm trying to say in English. Let's make sure we get the, the impact of that over into the Portuguese. We became friends. I got to know his wife. I got to know his daughter, Janaina, as well, and just, just a guy that we enjoyed talking, but a couple of things about Ricardo that will make sense of the story I'm about to tell you. He was not a Christian, okay? And he was a serial cheater. We talked about this. He, he confided in me a lot of things. Um, he just wasn't faithful to his wife, not even close. So that helps explain what happened one day. So I'm preaching, or I'm working on this message with Ricardo, and it's a message about 
sexuality, about God's plan for us sexually. And part of that, I mean, I think part of good ministry is sharing your life, your ups and your downs. And so just, I was kind of sharing my story there. And part of the message I wanted to tell the church in Rio that I had only had sex with one person, with Isla, with my wife. And that had been a real blessing to me. So I'm waiting for him to help me translate this, right? And he has this look on his face that is, I would say, half skepticism, okay? And it is half shock. And he says, wait a second. I mean, we kind of pushed our chairs back from the computer and we started having this conversation. He's like, wait a second. So you are saying that you have never had sex with anyone other than your wife. And I said, yeah, that's my story. That's what I'm saying. And it's really been a blessing to our marriage. And he said, kind of shrugging his shoulders, he said, well, I mean, we can say that, but no one in the church is going to believe it. It, it, it was so weird, this moment, because it was like we were talking about something unbelievably miraculous. I mean, like a virgin birth in the Dabbs family. This is not possible. You've got to be kidding me. No one's going to believe this. And honestly, it just, I love that guy. And so it made me sad. It made me sad that the enemy has him so wrapped around his finger that he believes God's best for him and his wife is not possible. And I promise you, their marriage was not in a sweet spot. They were doing great. As believers, we still battle with sin. We still make mistakes. But we are committed to put on Christ and to strip away the old sin nature. We embrace a lifestyle of repentance. And let me tell you something about repentance. Repentance is not, repeat, is not a one-time act. Oh yeah, I did that right before I was baptized years ago. No, it's a regular thing. I mean, weeding is not a one-time act. And I, I, I weeded, so I'll never have to weed this garden. No, repentance is, is habitual, and, and you have this beautiful end in mind, this design that God has uh, for you, this call He has on your life. You've heard of Martin Luther the great reformer and the 95 theses that he nailed to the church door to start the great reformation. Did you know that the first one of those 95, number one, was about repentance and the fact that it is part of our life from the second we accept Jesus as Lord and surrender to him. Luther wrote this, this is number one on his 95 Theses. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. The entire life of believers should be repentance. What does it look like? How do you go negative with the sin that's there in your life? Let's talk about a few things that, that are involved in this process, in this 
lifestyle of repentance. You've got to talk about confession. You've got to talk about confession. It's constantly calling out the sin that is in your life. What we normally do, what the sinful nature wants to do is cover it up. Hide it. Pretend. Build a facade. What the Holy Spirit needs for us to do to deal with the sin in our life is to get honest about it with ourselves, yes, but open up with a Christian sister, a Christian brother who can help us, who can walk with us through the struggle. And then that second bullet point there, I would say, is just repentance. I would just... I want to talk about that word because in the Greek it's metanoia. We've talked about that before. It means a change of mind. A change of mind. So essentially, that decision to repent, it it is accepting God's grace and it is turning away from sin. It's more than confession. It's accepting God's grace, believing in that fully, and then turning away to what God has for me. Okay? turning into something better. And with this, I want to talk for a couple of minutes about what I'm calling stance this morning. Let's talk about stance. And this is specifically, okay, I've done that. Now I want to move forward. I I don't want to struggle with that anymore, or I want to get rid of that, so I need to reduce my exposure to that temptation. Had a little buddy growing up, J.P., JP and I played Little League baseball together, and neither of us were under delusions that we were going to be uh, major leaguers or anything like that, but there we were on the red carpet real estate team. And I'll tell you this about JP. JP had figured out how to get on base every time. He had figured out how to get on base every time. had to do with his, his stance, his batting stance. So you've got this strike zone, and I pulled this off a Little League website. So you got the strike zone, I think it hadn't changed much over the years, but it is somewhere between the batter's chest and the batter's knees. And so pitchers need to locate the ball, Little League Baseball, somewhere in that zone in order for the umpire to call it a strike. Now, (laughs) JP took this knowledge and applied it to his very unique batting stance, all right? Kind of more of a, a batting squat than a batting stance. So chest and knees, I don't even know that I can do this now that I'm pushing 50, but it was something like this. <laughs> I mean, he got low. I don't know that there was a strike zone, to be totally honest. What I can assure you is that no 10-year-old in southwest Missouri was able to find J.P.'s strike zone. And so he walked and walked and walked every time he got up to bat. He never swung his bat. No infielder chance of swing bat a bat could tempt him out of this unique stance that he had. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, why didn't everyone do that? Crack the cup. Why do you think? We all thought we were going to be Hank Aaron, man, or back in those days, George Brett. So we were swinging for the fences. Anyway, he recognized, JP, his limitations. 
and adapted accordingly. His stance wasn't pretty, but I can tell you, it was effective. Here's the idea here. If you know that you struggle with a particular sin, then you need to be strategic about your stance in relation to that sin. It's like the recovering alcoholic who not only has made the decision, I'm not going to touch the stuff anymore, but has made the decision, I'm not going to be in environments where other people are touching the stuff. I'm going to avoid those situations. Sounds kind of radical, but it's kind of important to be radical when you're addicted, right? And so I got this buddy. One more story, and we'll we'll wrap it up pretty quick. But I I just want to tell you one more story. What does this specifically look like? And I've got a friend, and and we are good buddies. And he has he struggled for years and years with pornography. Maybe the most common addiction for men, especially these days. He struggled with pornography, and. He fell in love with this beautiful young Christian lady, and he believed, didn't tell anybody this, but I think he believed once we get married, pornography addiction over, well, it wasn't. And I can tell you, as he struggled as a young married man still with pornography, his marriage, it wasn't in a sweet spot, okay? Now, with God's help, over a period of two, three years, took a while, he broke free. Amen. But there were several things that he did. I mean, he, we talked about it. He would confess. We would text back and forth. But one of the things that he did um, kind of related to his stance, like his smartphone was a problem. 24-7 access to any kind of video he might want to see. And so what he did was he traded in his beautiful, state-of-the-art smartphone for a Motorola flip phone. It's just one of the things he did. Not going to watch videos on that bad boy. And people would ask him about it, and it was a little awkward, but I mean, I don't think he explained to everyone exactly why he had a Motorola flip phone, but that was, that was part of his strategy. That was part of his stance. And, and now he's been free for years from pornography. And he and his wife were doing great. Anyway, stance, reducing your exposure to temptation, that's a powerful tool in developing for yourself a lifestyle of repentance. Spirit, we've got to talk about the Holy Spirit. Can't talk much about it this morning. We'll do more as the series progresses. But I will, I will say this. We need to invite the Spirit of God into the struggle with us. Right? I mean, the Spirit lives in you. The Spirit works in you. The Spirit absolutely has a plan for you, has God's best in store for you. And the Spirit, as you pray, he, Paul's going to tell us, He intercedes for you before the presence of God because He knows exactly what you need. So you're not on your own. And you shouldn't try to live on your own. Finally, (laughs) repeat. Repeat. Over in a lifestyle of repentance, I will put on the new self 
every day until the day comes that I draw in my last breath. Some see the lordship of Jesus as limiting, as confining. The truth is, Jesus frees people up to be the men and women they were always engineered by God to be. One more word and we'll wrap it up, but a final thing my dad and I talked about a few days ago because we were driving in southeastern Kansas and we were passing these fields of sunflowers. And you all know, I mean, sunflowers are like, I mean, they are tall. They are huge, and they are beautiful, bright flowers. And he was just talking and sharing. You know, interesting thing about sunflowers, he said, is, is they will move and bend and contort themselves throughout the day so that they are always what? They're always facing the sun. I was like, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't. It's called heliotropism. Heliotropism. So in the morning, your sunflower, your field is pointing east to catch the first rays of light. And then those sunflowers will move with the sun throughout the day. And they will move to face west at the end of the day to catch the last rays of light. And then during the night, those things will actually reposition themselves so they are ready for the next day to start. I think you can see where we're going. How about you? Are you turning every day, every moment to the sun? Are you turning yourself into the light of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Are you receiving power from the Son of God. That's how sunflowers grow into maturity. That's how they're nurtured. And maybe this morning you're asking yourself, am I really in the sweet spot that God has for me? Maybe, maybe this morning you need to start confessing some things. Get real about something that's going on. Because to you, nothing matters more than turning into the sun. Maybe it's putting on Christ in baptism and beginning that journey under the lordship of Jesus, relying on his grace, relying on his spirit, relying on his wisdom, because after all, he knows you and designed you to thrive and to live in abundance. Let's stand together. Let's worship together.